Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by the sister of Melissa Platt, Michelle Mims. And I'm so happy to have you here. You and I first started talking about, what, two years ago now? A little yeah. longer than that, maybe? Yeah. Getting close to that, yeah. Yes. We first did a video on Melissa's case on my channel a while back. I'm sure some of you have seen it. And Michelle is here today to go over the case again and also let us know about a bunch of updates that are going on in the case and ways that you guys can actually help. That's going to be huge today. You guys are going to be able to take action. And I know that you all always do an amazing job with that. And we are able to see movement in a lot of cases, especially this one so far. It's been incredible to see. Yes. So I wanted to get that out there first that we do have a couple of things, a couple of ways that you can help. And that information will be in a pinned comment and the description box, show notes if you're on Spotify, iTunes. And yeah. Yeah, sometimes people just need a little bit of a, a nudge in the right direction. Yep. Uh, especially when they're <laughs> just dragging their feet on stuff and not mm -hmm. working, you know, as efficiently as they should be. And I mean, we're going to get into it, but the, just the amount of time that you michelle have spent on this and just trying to get something moving in the right direction and i, I just want to commend you first of all first of all for your strength and ability to just even come on the podcast i mean i know it's a it can be a big ask to come on to a public platform and be so yeah. open and share you know such a personal story and case you know with the world really and yeah. we're just so thankful to have you here so i just yes. wanted to say that to you and for us doing this every week when it's just kendall and myself is, is one thing but when we actually get to talk to uh victims families it brings a whole new level i can't even put into words the way that it makes at least me feel and i know you mm -hmm. and, and janelle feel the same way but it just makes it feel so much more real but also we just feel the connection, mm -hmm. the the love that's there, that this is, you're doing this out of pure love for, for your loved one. And you want absolutely. to see see them get the justice that they absolutely deserve yep. and expose the horrible, horrible police, police work um, and just multiple individuals that just Completely. have absolutely done nothing to to help aid in that fight for justice. So yeah, this case that's is what we're here for. Very shocking just to warn you ahead of time. It's very frustrating. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. So first of all, you came from all the way from Texas. Yep. Thank you so much for making the flight out here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're one of our one of our first uh, family members that have come on the show. It's been a while since we've had yeah, anyone been a, um, since pre-pandemic. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> and everything that you've done has been so amazing. I know you have a few updates to tell us about today, right? Yes. yes. Some huge updates. Yeah, some big updates. You've gotten a lot done so far. Yeah, there there's been a lot that's happened um, since the last time with a yeah. video went up that you did. Um, you know, so, so many people came out to support signing a petition, mm -hmm. you know, donating to the GoFundMe that we opened to get a private investigator. Yeah. That was huge. And I was able to hire one who has done an amazing job. Mm -hmm. It's him and a few members of his team that have been working on this. And, you know, through their actions, they met with a woman named Karen Kelly, mm -hmm. who is, is basically the person who has the power to change a death certificate. And changing the cause of death on a death certificate is 
Yeah. Not common yeah. at all. Almost unheard of, really. Almost unheard of, exactly. So, um, you know, my PI team met with her, went over everything. She was like floored at, at how well of a job the PI team did. She said she had never seen something put together so well, so professionally. And she wholeheartedly believed my sister was the victim of homicide. And, you know, she went through all the motions and she actually fast-tracked it. And she was able wow. to get the death certificate changed from undetermined, which is what it had been for years and years and years, to homicide due to assault and closed head injury. And another like amazing thing that we didn't expect to happen, my PIT didn't even expect to happen. Um, Karen was so invested in this and she was like saying there's just such an injustice that was done that she brought up the case to multiple like forensic pathologists, yep. medical examiners, chief medical examiners mm -hmm. in a conference. And they all went over the case file and every one of them wholeheartedly believed that like this is a homicide for sure. Mm -hmm. And they all wrote letters and signed their names to that effect. And they would be willing to go to trial and testify to such, which I was so floored when I heard about this. The PI team, we were just completely blown away yeah. that she would take the time. And I feel like that goes to show what an injustice happened, that yeah. you've, you've got so many professionals in the medical, the forensic pathologist field, all of that, mm -hmm. who, who are willing to go to bat for us. And that, that was amazing. So yeah, the death certificate was changed, which was huge. And the case ended up getting reopened, like officially. Amazing. Which I never thought I'd see the day, to be honest. To be honest, I didn't think we were going to see this much happen that quickly. To have the case reopened, right. death certificate changed. And, you know, it's interesting. I think anyone that hears the details of this case, just as an average person listening to true crime, you are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely has to be a homicide. Right. But it's really reassuring to hear that there's so many experts in the medical field that also agree and back that up and are willing to stand by you and right. see justice be carried out. And hopefully one day we'll, you know, get to celebrate that actually happening. I hope so. Yeah. Holding the person responsible for the death of your sister yep. um, is going to be the ultimate goal here, obviously. Yes. And we've got steps in the right direction now, at least. At least the case is back open, which means... Law enforcement's taking another look at it. Hopefully, different set of eyes this time, and hopefully, the right people can piece together, you know, mm -hmm. the little information that was taken from the initial investigation, yeah. and you know, get this to a grand jury and and actually get charges brought against the individual responsible. Because you know, ultimately, it's great to have you know these little wins, but you know, to have true justice in this case, you want to see that person who is responsible behind bars for the rest of their life. Absolutely. This case is just, will blow you away at the negligence yep. uh, that was done on, on the behalf of the police department and just the fact that they, this is one of those cases that to them looked like sort of a, not, not necessarily an accidental death, but just sort of an individual whose life was falling apart and therefore that led to their, their tragic mm -hmm. death. But there's just no way possible that that, is the case here and that's what we're going to look into and like kendall said this is graphic in nature and just mm -hmm. it's it's horrific what what happened uh, to melissa so i just want to 
preface that to anybody. It does have to do with domestic uh, yes. violence and abuse. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, just want to put that out there for those that, you know, might be triggered by, by something like this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, just for legal reasons, everyone that we mentioned in this episode is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Right. So. Exactly. So let's, I think let's, let's start with Melissa because, you know, I don't want to just focus on her death and all the horrible things that happened yeah. to her. Let's, let's talk about her life. And, and, you know, she was on this earth for a long time. She was your sister and I'm sure you have many good memories with her and just let's talk about, you know, her, her time here and what, what it was like to have her as your sister and who she really was. Yeah, exactly. And my sister was such a special person. She had such a kind heart. We were so close. People used to say, y'all are two peas in the pot because <laughs> we were <laughs> always awesome. together. Just, um, I mean, she ended up having uh, two daughters of her own and she was so thrilled when that happened. And I was just so, so happy for her because I knew she always wanted to be a mother. Yeah. One of my last like really, really good memories with her is her me, my mom, you know, rest of my family going to Disney World and Universal Studios and just going on all the rides. And it just holds a special place in my heart because I have such a good memory of of those times. But Melissa is just, she was kind of introverted mm-hmm. until she got to know you. Yeah. And then, and then one, once she got to know you, she was just the silliest, just a goofball, always joking around. I remember times where we would watch scary movies and uh, we would go to sleep and have nightmares and, and freak <laughs> out and talk about our nightmares. Yeah. But then we would do the same thing the next day because we absolutely love to watch scary movies. <laughs> That's I awesome. know it was ridiculous. <laughs> like we would do the same thing, yep. even though we knew what the outcome would be. But I mean, we were always hanging out. I, you know, we had each other's backs. Yeah. When I lost her, I, I, a piece of me was gone, which is always going to be gone. And I felt like not only was she my sister, she was my best friend. You know, I could tell her anything. She could tell me anything. And we have so many, so many good memories, thankfully. But this, this can overshadow the absolute horrific nature of what happened to her. But I always try to think back on those good times. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that I'm not really consumed by the bad. Yeah, I think that's really important to honor her memory that way. And, yeah. You know, remember how close you guys were and that, that bond between sisters is so special. And you were just telling us this picture. Um, you were actually in that in that photo, right? Right, right. Yeah, I was sitting next to her. And this is around the time we went to Disney. And just that smile on her face. That's yeah. That, Pure that's, she smiled all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> she was beautiful you yeah. know and just like i said a heart of gold and she she's done so much to help me cuz i've i've been through a lot of things when i was younger as well and i always knew i could count on her and she was always there for me yeah it's incredible i'm glad you got to have her yeah. in those years yeah so did you guys grow up in Houston then Houston Texas or did you just live there for a short time when she was born and kind of take us through just you know sort of your childhood and your family and your parents and sort of what life was like for you guys all together. Okay. We were born in Houston. We lived kind of on a suburb outside okay, of Houston sure. called okay. Baytown. And that's really where we grew up. We we had moved to North Carolina for a little bit 
maybe five years and then we came back and lived here and then when she turned like 18 she she left and went back to north carolina because i have another sister that lives in north carolina as well Mm -hmm. so she moved out there and um you know started a life out there so you have a brother as well, Michael Jr., and uh-huh. then your sister's brother. Maria. Uh-huh, Maria. Okay, and yeah. Melissa was born February 3rd, 1977. That's right. That's correct. Okay, and your parents, Marianne and Michael? Mm-hmm, that's right. Are they both still here? My mom, my my dad sadly passed away from lung cancer in 2010, and that's another really difficult hit for my family because, you know, he never saw justice for her, and yeah. he was fighting so hard those last couple of years of his life to get the word out. You know, every, every year a packet would be put together. My mom would, would, you know, have pictures of Melissa's injuries, a letter about how this whole thing has affected my family. And she would send it to, and my, my dad would help out with this too, would send it to the police, to Joey, mm-hmm. you know, and um, also to the district attorney. And I think that that it was that the fact that we would do that every single year mm-hmm. and nothing. We w- we might get a letter back from a district attorney saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, we're so sorry," but you know, essentially, Some there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And then you could tell. I mean, now from what I know, I know now that they hadn't even looked mm. at the information. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, I could tell. So that was that was a, a really difficult time for for us when we lost my dad too. And you still send that letter every year, right? Oh yeah, it gets sent every year. Good for you. Is it the same letter or do you guys kind of add new information or? There's some new information, but we definitely send it on what would have been Melissa's birthday, February 3rd. Um, That's definitely a time we do it. And then December 17th when she was pronounced dead, taken off life support. So yeah, those letters are always sent. So those just went out. They They just probably are still sitting on someone's desk. Yeah, probably. So when Melissa was a newborn, she was hospitalized for a little while, right? She had severe colic Mm -hmm. and low blood sugar. Yep. So that must have been really hard on your mom and kind of a rocky start to her life as well. Yeah, definitely. So she was hospitalized for a full month after her birth. quite some time. Wow. But other than that, she had a pretty healthy childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, she, yeah, no major problems at all. So she was very adventurous, too. That's what you were telling us. She had an upbeat personality. Very. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I love this always picture joking of her around. in the little cheerleading outfit. That oh, is yeah. So she cute. loved it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That embodies her just <laughs> for the spirit she had and just wanting to make people smile and joking around. We, we both had just about the same sense of humor. Really? So we got it. We understood each other. So whose idea was it to ride down the stairs on pieces of cardboard <laughs> and jump off the roof? <laughs> so, <laughs> so about that, no, both of us really, when it came to riding down the stairs, we both were like, hey, this might work, right? <laughs> there was no railing on the stairs, mind you. <laughs> we were like, sure, it'll, surely it'll take us just straight down. Yeah. And, and she went down without a hitch, no problem. <laughs> when I went down, <laughs> the the uh, uh, cardboard went over the edge and oh, I no. like fell off yeah. and I rolled and I like smashed my head into the wash machine. I was like, I was like, oh, yes. no. you would think that I would be like, oh no. But I was like, yeah. awesome, yeah. let's do it again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> now right back up to do it now. Now the mattress thing on the outside. No, 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 that was not my idea. Melissa was like, come on, let's do it. Cause there was this like, 
door, or I'm sorry, this window that we could get out onto the roof. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, she's like, yeah, let's do this. And she's like, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. And she's like, at least let me help put the mattress. That'll break, that'll break her fall. Sure, surely we won't break anything, you know? And so <laughs> I pulled it out and it was so funny because neighborhood kids started hearing what we were doing. And then we had like a crowd. Oh, yeah. And so she went off, rolled. She was totally fine. And I'm like, oh, well, now, well, now I have to. Everybody's watching me, you know, and they're going to make fun of me. They're never going to let me let this down. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, let me go ahead and do that. And we would do silly things like that. Like we would do mud fights around the outside of the house and um, just, you know, mud, throw it at each other. And (laughs) we were so dumb because we would we would throw and miss and they would splat on the side of the house <laughs> so there was mud splats everywhere and my mom came home from work she's like what's going on i don't know mom kids must have done something i have no idea how that got there <laughs> she's so like, funny clean it <laughs> was maria as adventurous as the two of you not not in that way no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the good child right exactly <laughs> she's like i ain't getting all of that <laughs> but your mom would dress you guys up similar almost like you were triplets right she would that's very cute <laughs> and just, the uh... names too did you guys go to the same school and like, did you have, uh, did you kind of like follow each other at school or were you kind of, uh, what was your experience like uh, together? Now, Maria, she was older than me. Um, now she was born in 73. So okay. yeah, she was a good like eight years older than me, mm-hmm. but me and Melissa did go to the same school. So, okay. and, and yeah, we would hang out as much as we could and, you know, help each other like. Oh, I got this test. Help me, help me. And she would help me yeah. and I would help her just depending on the subject. But yeah, yeah, we ended up going to the same schools. That's yeah, because she was only a couple years older than me. So yeah. Close What's enough that you can still like relate on stuff. And absolutely, y- you know, you had similar experiences because you might have had some of the same teachers, maybe. Or, we sure did. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, remember so and so? Just letting you know. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other like favorite memories from school or funny memories from school? When it comes to school, um, I kind of I kind of felt bad for Melissa one time because this girl was picking on her and was trying to pick a fight with her. And my sister was just not that type of person. You know, I, I remember being there and like, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. And so I jumped in, you know, Good and like sit in front of my sister. I said, if you're going to, you know, go after her, you're going to have to come through me. And That's right. I'm like, it's going to have to be both of us. And that girl was like, oh, and. She's kind of never mind, you know, <laughs> you know disappeared into the crowd of people. Oh. And yeah, yeah. I just remember she would have stood up for me and I'm like, I'm going to stand up for her. And so I don't know. It just bonded us even more. Yeah. Oh, totally. She was like, oh, my God, thank you for. And I'm Aww. like, I would do it in a heartbeat again. You know, that's really <laughs> sweet. So when Melissa was eight, you guys moved to Jacksonville, mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier. Yep. And you guys only were there for four years before moving back to Texas. And you that's lived right. in Baytown. That's right. That correct. Correct. Which again, that's Jacksonville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. not Jacksonville, Florida. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I a lot say? of people would think Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. true. North Carolina, that's true. But yeah, yeah. It's always sense. weird when there's cities that are, you know, big cities in other states, and you say Jacksonville, people just assume Jacksonville, Florida. But... Yeah, that's true. And my older sister lived in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, okay. So when Melissa was 15, she got a job working at McDonald's planning the little kids' birthday parties. Yes. And she, she loved, loved that. Yeah. She loved it. And the McDonald's in Baytown had this separate little like train caboose looking thing yeah. that they used. 
mm. and like like refitted for for these parties. Oh, fun! She'd have her little party hat on, and <laughs> I mean, she threw herself into this job. She absolutely loved it. She loved kids, mm. so she was so so proud of that job. What oh, a fun job, awesome. though! Yeah, I know. Oh my god! Did you, you know? ever have a McDonald's birthday party? I didn't. How how is that? That, that <laughs> was like a long it. time ago. So I had, I think I had like two. Because mm. I, I remember um, when I was like in third grade, I had a McDonald's caboose party too. Oh, nice. It was like, yeah, it was like a they had an actual train caboose yes. outside the McDonald's and then they would like decorate it and everything. And then when I was even younger, like maybe like two, I have photos of me at a at, in a McDonald's mm. with like the McDonald's cake and candles and stuff. And Ronald yeah. Big fan of McDonald's yes. birthday parties. Did they used to <laughs> and, have like someone dresses Ronald and come oh, in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They would do the whole They whole would thing. do the whole shebang. And I, I remember going to Baytown to see my mom uh, a few years ago. And I, you know, just, just for old time's sake, I drove by that McDonald's and that thing was still there. Wow. Oh, I was just like, I, oh. it was real emotional. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, just knowing she used to be in there, yeah. you know, doing something that made her happy. Yeah. yeah. And at 15, I'm sure that was so much fun. Like what oh, a great yeah. first job. Definitely. That's like awesome. lucky mine was at Kmart. Like I mean, I can't complain. I was stocking the toy department, which I absolutely love. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I can't complain about it. <laughs> so Maria eventually moved back to Jacksonville, and mm-hmm. then when Melissa was sixteen, she joined her there. That's right. Um, and did she like living in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, she did. How do the two towns sort of compare? Like how how are they? Was it like a different experience living in North Carolina versus Texas? Was there things you liked? about Baytown versus Jacksonville or was it just kind of you know obviously kid you're probably not thinking too hard on those things but do you have any like memories like between the differences yeah I mean the part of Jacksonville that we were in was more country versus the more city life um in Baytown okay so I think she really enjoyed just a more country vibe Mm -hmm. versus yeah like outside of a huge city like Houston sure yeah that makes sense. So October 1st, 1995, Melissa's dream comes true and she has her first daughter, Brianna. That's right. How's how's she doing now? She's doing good. Okay. Um she, you know, I keep in contact with them and good. They they've been so thankful for for everything cuz I, I I know they were worried that nothing would ever happen as yeah, well and I, you know, I told them I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going That's no matter right. what. And That's right. So they're doing good. Um, like Brianna, we had a scare with her when she was born. She had a hole in her heart. Mm-hmm. She had a cleft lip, and she had to go through multiple surgeries. She was actually the one of the what is it? The Miracle Children's Network. Yeah. one of the poster oh, yeah. childs. One mm-hmm. year, um, oh. doctors would say that she wouldn't live past five, oh, and she's thriving. Um, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, to hear. Oh, yeah. My gosh, yeah, they're adorable. And she looks her. so much like Melissa. I mean, and Chastity is her other daughter. They just look, gosh, I see Melissa in them so much. It just, you know, warms my heart to see that. So when she was having those surgeries, they spent a lot of time at Ronald McDonald House, right? Yes, they did. It's an amazing charity. Yeah, they were a lifesaver at the time. I'm sure. Yeah. So was that happening in North Carolina then or is that? Mm -hmm. Okay. North Carolina. Gotcha. And then in 2001, she got married and she had her second daughter, Chastity. That's right. July 4th, 2003. And then her and her husband got divorced in 2005. Right. What do you remember about that time? Was How was that for Melissa? I'm sure that was a very difficult time to go through. 
it was a difficult time. Um, it wasn't the best situation, you know, and I'm glad she finally had recognized it and, you know, the, the toxic nature oh, of it. it. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad she, she separated from that and got away. Um, unfortunately, as we all know, it, she ended up with somebody yeah. much, much worse, yeah. you know. Also, side note, Melissa was an animal lover. Yes. She had a pet parrot named Alvin. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> she loved animals. Parrots are so cool. Parrots are cool. We we had a parrot, the funniest thing. So, you know, we'd wake up in the morning and <laughs> the parrot would be like, Psst. it would like make this sound. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'd walk over to the cage and he'd be like, let me out. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll be like, no, he's like, he'd That's walk amazing. up to me and be like, let me out. And so I'm like, fine. And I'd open the cage and he would crawl out and go to the top and he would just laugh at me. Just, <laughs> I'm like, so how smart. dare you? That's insane. <laughs> you snide parrot. How oh, dare that's you? That's so funny. I, lo- I loved him so much. What kind of parrot was there? What color was it? It was a, a yellow crown okay. parrot. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's very yeah. cool. Parrots are so cool. The <laughs> yeah, fact they that they're they able to like learn English words is... Is so amazing and also kind of scary at the same time. It's kind of creepy at the same time. Yeah, it really is. Especially the fact that they know when to use those words. There's this pet store that I used to, there's this pet store in Oklahoma I used to go to and the owner had his macaw parrot like on this perch in the middle of the store and he would like, Oh, yeah. He would say things to customers. You'd be like walking by. I was like, I see you. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Are you going to buy something? <laughs> like, they oh would like gosh. make little Funny. remarks to you as you like walked around or pick stuff up. It was like watching you. I'm like, God, these animals are so wow. smart. Right. You're like, I don't know whether to be impressed or creeped out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but they can also be incredibly annoying too. They can. They, also, can. <laughs> they can just like go off or or if they if they know curse words, they can be very obnoxious with those too. <laughs> right. It's, that's it's true. It's pretty funny, but they can definitely be annoying. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So in 2005, obviously this was this was a rough time. You know, she's just gotten divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also facing some legal troubles because she was charged with writing bad checks in Onslow County, North Carolina. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that sort of why why she did this and, you know, sort of how that all went down? Yeah, she was experiencing some pretty bad financial situation and she did go to the store and got food. Just wrote checks that and she wrote couldn't. checks that she she knew that she wouldn't be able to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And that's what that was all about. Okay. Which it's like, yeah. you know, how can you really blame somebody for doing that when Got they're just trying to, to get too and... just trying to get food? Right. So, right. So how did she did like the store like report? Like, how did that how did she actually get in trouble legally with that? My understanding is the store started it and contacted the police. OK. And I don't know if they got with financial institution. The banks came. I'm sorry. The checks came from. Um I don't know 100% of the details on that. Okay. Unfortunately, but I know I'm just yeah. trying to remember. I'm like, it's been so long since any of us like you wrote checks. I know. I'm like, yeah. Writing bad checks. What does that even mean? Know. You know, like I know people do like print fraudulent checks, but that's like a whole nother level now. But back then, I guess if you know you wrote a check that you knew was going to bounce, that technically be yeah. a bad check. Yeah. This was only exactly like 15 years ago. It's crazy. I know. I know. Yeah. Very long time. Like checks. What are those? <laughs> So then a year later in 2006, Melissa met a guy named Joey Tyndall mm-hmm. at the auto parts store where she worked. That's right. Um, and Joey worked at the Barnhill Construction Company. 
He also had a history of domestic violence before he met Belissa, and he actually had two ex-wives that were very afraid of him. That's true. Do you know really like how how did she get involved with him? Like what do you know how, how did, did she talk to you about like how they met or like what what enticed her to, you know, start talking to Joey and sort of enter in a, into a relationship with him? I think it's like with a lot of narcissistic people and even sociopathic people, how they can lay on the charm. Right. You know what I mean? So he's got that, and, those elements. Then. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's able to kind of, you know, snow you over and make you think he's somebody that he's really not. And then you end up seeing the true colors, you know, as time goes by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's that's pretty much what happened there. I think she, you know, fell for a version of him that wasn't true. Mm. Well, and, and he's already has experience with this because he he's got XYs that have had very bad experiences with him. Very bad. So he's kind of. You know, he's been at this game for a while now, and he's, I guess he's kind of figured out how to, you know, get what he wants, really. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And do it do it in a way that's... So with Joey, what was your... When did you first meet him or, you know, what was your first impression of him? I have not had a good impression of him. <laughs> like day one, you're like, something's just off with him. Yeah, just from things, you know, that she would she would talk about that I thought were just... I was like... That sounds pretty controlling to me. And I, I just felt like there was this <laughs> narcissistic personality behind this whole thing. So I have not since day one had a good impression of him. Did you ever meet him in person? I did. Okay. I did. And yeah. what did you think when you met him? I found him to be incredibly, uh, he just was an off-putting. There was just something weird about him, mm. you know. And I had met him that, this one time and I just, I was like, man, I got to be a bad, bad feeling about this guy, you know. But Melissa, you know, I would try to talk to her. Would you? And, uh, you know, she didn't see it, you know. You can only do what you can do. I'm just like, I think this guy's bad news. But yeah. it didn't and stop her. What were some of those behaviors that, you, that Melissa told you about? Some of the control tactics that Joey would use on her? Oh, yeah. She could just not say something in a way he liked, right? He, I mean, or say something in a way he didn't like. Um, and he would kick her outside and lock her out. And like, it doesn't matter the temperature, he would make her lay there. I ended up finding out later, it was worse than what I even imagined. Yeah. He would um, supposedly strip her naked, then throw her outside and leave her locked out. And she would either have to lay on the ground or if the car was unlocked, she'd, like crawl in there and lay in there. Um, if she needed to go somewhere, he would check the mileage in the car and, you know, she would go and then come back and he would check the mileage to make sure she traveled the specific appropriate amount of miles to get to that destination and back. Um, he would lock her inside a room while he was at work. And when he would get home, he would check her phone to make sure she wasn't talking to guys and things like that. So, I mean, insane yeah. levels of control. And you guys knew about this before she was killed? I knew that he would lock her out. Okay. I found out after the fact. Right. Through the investigation that. Recently. It, yeah. That she would actually be naked. And the whole thing about the phone and locking her in mm-hmm. a room. I found all that out 
after, but I still knew. I, I do remember one time she said that he forcefully pushed her outside of a window and locked it. I mean, this is something she told me. And I remember I said, you, you have got to get out of this. You've got to. I mean, I offered to have her come stay with me even. And she left at one point. She came back to Texas. Oh, did and she? I breathed such a sigh of relief. And I'm like, you can stay with me. I'll help you as much as I need to, you know, help you run a job. I'll pay your way. I mean, to get all your feet. I don't care what it takes. And then I don't know what he did or what he said. And I feel like it, my assumption is there was some kind of threats there. Oh, and she ended up leaving like in the middle of the night to go back and ended up back with him again. And I'm, I'm pretty I'm I'm hundred percent sure it was out of fear. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's so common too. Did this behavior on Joey's part start from like the beginning of their relationship or was there ever a period where she told you that everything, well, I guess she probably would have told you everything's fine when it wasn't fine. Yeah. But, but and that's the hard thing is it's like, we probably don't know no. with a hundred percent certainty if it was like that from the very beginning or not. Right. Exactly. She's in a whole other state and I can only go off of what she says. Right. I mean, apparently there was a, small period of time but i don't even know if that's real or if she was so embarrassed or too scared to say something yeah i mean just based on yeah based on joey's past i think it's probably fear i mean just immense fear to the point where even just after getting to know somebody or getting into a relationship let me back up a little bit so joey lived in a single wide trailer on rex howard road in pink hill north carolina which is about an hour away from greenville north carolina that's right and pink hill if you look it up on the map which i did it is a teeny tiny town very um looks like mostly just farm farmers and um you know what were you saying like population yeah it was a little over 500 people yeah there's wow. like very not small. even i mm-hmm. doubt there's more than like one or two stoplights in that whole town. Right. Probably, and I think the any. population is about the same today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not much different. <laughs> so do you know at what point she moved out there with him or, or did she ever like claim residency as, as at Joey's place or was it sort of just, she just went to stay with him because they were in the relationship and it just made sense because you know, how, how did he get her out to pink Hill? Yeah. yeah, I don't know if she claimed residency. I feel like he wanted more control over her, so he somehow enticed her, her to... and got her to come and live there. And then he—that's when he was really able to control every move. He didn't want her having a job, so he wouldn't let her have a job. Like he wanted her home all day, and he wanted to monitor. Let that's why I found out he was locking her in a room there while he went to work. Like it was okay for him to work but not okay for Melissa to work. He didn't want her meeting anybody. You know, he didn't want her having friends. He isolated her from her family. He's really a predator. Absolutely. I mean, mean, it seems like the more I sort of try to wrap my head around this, the more I I think that this guy was probably out there looking for his next victim in a way. Yeah. Um, Especially... Someone he could control. Yeah, somebody that he can control. And, you know, I mean, he's clearly got issues with violence and anger and rage and so you know he had these two previous relationships so my guess is he was just looking for that next next victim mm-hmm. and it just happened to be like it just is so unfortunate that she just happened to meet this guy 
at her job right like that's that was where their first interaction was just out of happenstance like he he's there she's there and they just happen to start talking and she has no idea who she's even you know dealing with and this yeah she didn't she, she didn't no know idea. all that past that's crazy <laughs> That's so scary. I mean, it's just so terrifying. scary to to think that there's individuals out there that are just that prey on people. Yeah, and are I mean, clearly only focused on what they want and what he wants is complete control over somebody for whatever he wants to do with them. I mean, that's just it's just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So in 2008, Melissa was 31. Mm-hmm. And she's still in a relationship with Joey at this point. Right. She was also still on probation for writing bad checks. So she wasn't able to leave the state of North Carolina because of that. Right. Um, so she pretty much lived at Joey's trailer. She had a tattoo of his name. Yeah. On her lower back. Yeah. Wonder wonder whose idea that was, if that was his or hers or I can't imagine it being hers. I just knowing yeah. her so well. I just yeah. It's probably I want my name's stamped on you like you're my property. Right. Yeah. And, That's and, how I've always taken it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it was also the more they were together, they started drinking more and more. So maybe alcohol yeah. was involved with that. Yeah. Um, that decision too. I mean, and she wasn't a big drinker before meeting Joey. Right. Right. Okay. right. Well, I do, I do know Melissa did not want that kind of life and she would go to rehab because she wanted to better herself. Yeah. And he would call her in re- rehab and, basically threaten her to come back. And, uh, you know, if she didn't, he would do this and he would do that to her. Mm-hmm. He would go pick her up from rehab. On the way home, he would stop and get liquor and he would take her home and, like, pretty much force her to drink liquor and get her liquored up. Unfortunately, I think that's an Which experience is, that a lot of people have and that sometimes you get introduced to alcohol or drugs through someone else. And especially right. when you're in a relationship as stressful as the two of theirs, I can see how that would have been a coping mechanism for her as well. It, it actually, it really was. She, she said she felt so dead inside from everything going on. She just had to numb it in some way, you know. Um, the constant just berating and control and, yeah, you know. It, well, so when you're toxic. getting treated like that, I mean, I don't know how, how you deal with that mentally yeah. day in, day out without having some sort of way to medicate yourself or just allow yourself to escape for even a moment i mean to be trapped in a i mean i'm just thinking how horrible it must have been to be trapped in a single wide trailer with this guy and that's your that's your life day in day out yeah and he's got he's now you know he's got you isolated in this teeny tiny town in the middle of nowhere yep away from your family away from any sort of support system so she wasn't seeing any family members during this time at all. Like nobody was able to see her. Yeah, it pretty much stopped. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And we would, my mom would call. Oh, you know, oh she she sleeps. She can't come to the phone. You know, I mean this this ties into when we get to the point of when the day that she was found. So I can yeah. go. I can elaborate on that when we get to that part. But yeah, yeah, you would lie. <laughs> so he was just like. I mean, she was a prisoner. She was a prisoner. Joey's prisoner. Yep. No car, no job. You do what I tell you to do. Yeah. Afraid for her life. So she would, how would she go to rehab at all then? Like if Joey was, yeah. how did she, how did she like just take off when he was gone or something? Exactly. Wait for her, wait for her opportunity and exactly what she would do. Yep. And try to go get help for herself and be better. And 
I, I mean, I can't even imagine the threats that he was giving to her to yeah. to get her to come back. Like, from what I found out later, things like he would kill her, mm-hmm. her family, just crazy things like yeah. that. And I'm sure with the things she saw him do, I'm sure she believed him. Oh, I you know, and you get into I fully, fully believe she was just a victim of like batter women syndrome, of course. Totally. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you're in that environment for so long, you're your entire reality changes and for us to sit here and and try to think about her experience i mean we have we can't even comprehend it because Mm -hmm. we're not in that position where we are being controlled by this person and they've created this world for us to live in and you know we take for granted you know being able to do whatever you want and Mm -hmm. you know have good relationships where you're still able to be yourself and and do all the things you want to do but it's really hard to wrap your mind around literally being a prisoner of somebody's. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you are living and just trying to get through the day knowing that this person, you know, if I try to do something or I try to call the police or get help that he may just end my life and there's not not anything I can do about it. Exactly. And I know some people don't understand. It might be a little bit judgmental, like, well, just leave. Right, right. Sometimes it's not. It seems so simple, right? Just, well, couldn't she just walk out the front door and go to the neighbor's house and call the police and then Mm -hmm. have him arrested and tell the police what what he's doing to her? And it's like, you're not understanding psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. How run down she is. And that first. Uh, amount of time when somebody leaves somebody that's like the most dangerous part yeah of of the process of trying to get away from somebody like that right. so it's not as easy as it sounds Mm-mm. well and you don't know what that's going to do to joey too you don't know or any abuser you don't know if that's going to flip a switch right. yeah and they're gonna they're gonna i mean it could be a trigger yep. for them mm-hmm. to then go and do something violent or go and i mean who knows i mean he's clearly unpredictable you have no idea what he's capable of mm-hmm. And all the things that he was filling her head with, I'm sure it was just, I, I just, uh, it just kills me to think about what thoughts were in her head day in, day out. And, I know. and just like yeah. having to figure out how to, how to even function as a human when you're, you know, those yeah. are the only thoughts that you have and you can't even talk to your family when they call. Right. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand why she was drinking, even though she was trying to get that help and is crazy that he was literally pushing it onto her to the point where he'd pick her up from treatments yeah. and take her right to the liquor store. Yep. And it's just tells you a lot. <laughs> and if it's going to numb that pain, I mean, why wouldn't you? Plus he was literally forcing her to drink it. He was threatening her if she didn't drink it. Yep. So she really had no control at all. At exactly. And it's pretty obvious why he would want her to continue with the drinking. It's easier to control a person under the influence. It just right. is. And he he was drinking too, or mm-hmm. was he okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's he's definitely intoxicated, which just makes things even worse. Because yeah. oh yeah, you know you already have somebody who's not mentally sane, and then they're fueling their body with alcohol on top of that. I mean, and like you already alluded to, there was a night he actually threw her out a window. Yeah, threw her out, locked it, and just left her out there. And that night the door car happened to be unlocked and so she was able to get in there and at least God. have something to lay on yeah but sometimes it'd be locked and she'd be in the bushes or and there was no neighbors or anything that witnessed this or saw it or reported something or it just wasn't something people did because they just kind of all keep to themselves or it's it's kind of 
Have you been to the like his trailer? Have you seen his neighborhood and stuff? Yeah, I have, and it's not like homes are on top of homes. Sure, are on top of homes, okay. You know what I mean? Not There's like right next. Sure, everything. okay. Yeah, so yeah. Apparently, when my my sister was like the last words out of her mouth, like one, I remember one thing she had mentioned is ask the guy who lives in the back. He saw stuff, but nobody oh. ever talked to him. Police never talked oh, to him, of even not. though we gave that information. And I'm not sure who she was talking about. And I, I just made me wonder. Did somebody witness something? Mm-hmm. And she was trying to give a hint, you know, hey, somebody talked to us. We, we didn't get a name or anything, but yeah. I mean, it's also possible, too, that who knows if his neighbors would even said anything, too. True. I mean, Tighten it's it, like, kinda, yeah, well, yeah, and just, hush. or maybe they're scared of him, too. I they mean, could if be. he's walking a lot around of people un- are, apparently. unhinged and just, mm-hmm. you know, they know he's drinking. I mean, they don't know if he's got weapons or not. I mean, exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. he sounds like just a dangerous guy that you'd probably want to just, you know, yeah. not cross paths with or but it would have made such a difference if someone had right reported if somebody it, saw know? something yeah. to say something and if yeah. you witness especially somebody being thrown out a window mm-hmm. or you know yeah. a woman naked outside in the cold and yeah yeah especially ex- extreme situations like that you know it's it's obviously people do fight but if you see any type of abuse it can really make such a huge difference to get that information to the right people hopefully Unless, as yeah. long as they'll act on it yeah, and that's do something. And a lot of people are like quiet think. and don't. And it's yeah. scary. And I, I know yeah. she would, I mean, if I, you know, being naked and curling up in bushes and not wanting yeah. to be seen, you know, I don't know if she was just way too embarrassed to even. Probably. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's another factor. Yeah. And it's like, how can you blame her? Mm-hmm. How can exactly. you blame her for being embarrassed or feeling a certain type of way when, I mean, yeah trying to imagine yourself that you're like yeah i would be too probably be like and just fearful of joey and what he might do yeah, if she were like, to tell oh god somebody. what if i tell somebody what's yeah. he gonna do to me next and, yeah you know because you know why he spends a couple nights in jail and then he's out and then right. what exactly <laughs> it's like not even knowing if he would end up getting any punishment at all right so do you know was joey in and out of jail quite a bit do you know his like criminal record at all um i do know he had uh like domestic violence charges against from him, his last uh, two ex-wives. They definitely filed. But the weird thing about it is as soon as it would get to court, they would drop the charges. Huh. Mm. He, I found out through the private investigator that he had assaulted a firefighter at one point as well. (laughs) So he has completely unhinged and just, he is unhinged. Yeah. He's just ready to strike whenever he feels like it. And right. because there's no, I mean, it's, it sounds like he didn't spend any comprehensive time in jail or prison or anything like that. It was kind of like slap on the wrist, you know, exactly. don't Every do time. it again. And he's just back out in the society. And that, I mean, that just lends to all the issues with the criminal justice system and, and the fact that people like this, I mean, there's, I know there's some states that have like zero tolerance policy and like, if you commit a domestic assault and you know you're convicted of it you're you know there's minimum uh prison time for those those types of charges i think i want to say i think colorado is one of them um maybe even nevada i know there's a couple states out there but i know some other states are, it's just it's way more lax than others like they they treat it much differently whereas other states will i mean you get charged with this you're going to go to prison for that right for you know some time at least mm-hmm. but to just kind of pop in pop out pop in pop out i mean what does that teach that person that yeah 
I can do whatever I want. Yep. You know, I can what, talk myself out of anything. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Night in jail, Seriously. no big deal. It's just there's no, you know, there's not not the appropriate checks and balances here. Mm -mm. So the one thing that just this blows my mind is that Melissa was shot. Yeah. Can we talk yeah. about that? Yes. Do you want to explain that? Because you were just telling us some other details about that. And of course, everything that Michelle is sharing here today when it comes to Joey is alleged. Mm -hmm. We just have to say Definitely. that for legal reasons. But yeah, can you tell us more about what you know about when she was shot? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, after she passed, we requested all of her medical records. And within those medical records, we found a, a time where she had been shot. And she had been shot in the weirdest, like, angle yeah. that supposedly she shot herself. Or so that was the official story. Right under her collarbone. Yeah, if you're right under it. Mm -hmm. So in the weirdest spot, I mean, you would have to like, you yeah. know, with a gun. Right. So I knew something and I'm sure she was just covering for him because, mm -hmm. you know, of who he is. So through the private investigation um, uh, and, and a different ex of my sister's ha came forward and provided a lot of information, actually. And he said that. Joey was being absolutely horrible to Melissa, fighting, threatening her. She ran into the bathroom. And again, this is a single wide trailer and very thin walls. And that he got a gun and shot through the, the door directly into where she was. And then that's how she got shot. And, uh, you know, went, went to the hospital and got assistance for that. But was said, oh, I shot myself. But it never made sense when I realized where it was. And then hearing what she told her an ex-boyfriend of her that happened, that made complete sense to me. Mm. Like I I from the beginning, I'm like, Joey did this to her. You know, that's that's gotta be it. But it all lined up when I found out what the ex-boyfriend said. So that's crazy. You guys did not know about it when it actually happened. She kept right. that from her family. She did. I'm sure he threatened her. Oh, absolutely. Oh, if you speak of this, yeah, you don't even want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. At that point, and I'll put it past him. Her fears got to be higher than ever. Right. Yeah. Now he shot. shot me. What well, else is he going to do? Well, did Melissa have a gun? As far as you know, nope. Would she he ever did. go yeah. buy a gun or have a? You know, would she? Would there be any reason for her to have a gun? He wouldn't have allowed that. Probably. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he would have allowed right. that. I mean, I know he had one. Right. So that's, she that's didn't. what I'm saying is it's mm -hmm. like clearly the guy had a gun and probably other weapons and whatnot. So, I mean, that's just another tool for controlling. I mean, right. You can wave that around and feel feel powerful and, you know, like you try to do anything and oh know, yeah, I'll shoot you. And, I mean, his his own son said that when they would be over there, he would like put his hand up like in the shape of a gun and just go pow to her head. And laugh about it. So I, I'm sure after that happened, she's like, this guy will kill me. I, mm -hmm. I He was probably, I mean, again, allegedly, <laughs> I think he was trying to get her, kill her at that point. You know, and she, why would you shoot at somebody right. in that direction where you know they're at mm -hmm. when you can obviously kill them? Mm -hmm. So I think that was po probably a turning point. And I already knew he would hurt me. But now it's gone this far. Yeah. Like now I'm sure at that point she was even more terrified. Because you were saying earlier, you don't think it was a case of something went too far. You think he no. was fully intending on ending her life that day. 
Absolutely. Yep. Wow. Do you think that maybe she was getting to a point where she was ready to make a break for it or, you know, come come forward and, and just be like, I'm, I'm done with this and try to, you know, try to get him locked up for all this. And and he realized that time was running out for him before. I mean, it was only a matter of time. Joey had to know that was, wasn't going to be long before people would know the truth about mm-hmm. what happened and what's going on here. Oh, yeah, I absolutely believe that because part of the investigation also we found out that we didn't know about is Melissa had started seeking help through a counselor. And when she described the things she was going through, she was specifically, uh, I'm not sure what the word is here, but she was like assigned. She was assigned to somebody who specializes in domestic violence. Uh And so she started seeing this person and that person we found out was so concerned about Melissa's safety that she was seeking to try to get, because she she was trying to get guardianship to get Melissa out of that situation. Because I think she thought Melissa was so scared and would not make Mm -hmm. the decision herself to fully leave. Mm -hmm. We found out this woman had started doing paperwork to try to get guardianship. And we never knew any of this until the private investigation. So if that tells you anything, so I really do think she was finding a way to come see somebody and I am, you know, telling them everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. And there were horrific details of things that right. she said yeah. Joey did to her that are on record with this counselor. And I, I don't know. I, w- I was blown away cause I had no idea. Yeah. So yeah, it could have been, he found out maybe yeah. that she was doing this somehow. Maybe she was doing it when he was at work, you know, right. sneaking away and he somehow found out and that, wow. that was it. So was the PI able to get some of those records from the counselor? Yes. Oh, okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I had to I had to do some like um request like request of records from a family member had to right. do it to where HIPAA. you know I I gave permission yeah. for them to give everything, and they have that paperwork. Okay, and have you ever spoken to this counselor? I haven't personally. Just my my private investigation team has talked to them. Interesting. I'm so glad they were able to connect. Well, that's important that they're putting these pieces together because yeah. they're really. Oh yeah. They're really creating the timelines because like when we get into the investigation and what the police say happened, I mean, it's just it makes absolutely no sense. But now that you have these additional pieces of evidence, you can really put them together and you can really prove that she was trying to leave this abusive relationship and she She was was. taking steps to do so. And looking at all the things that Joey did that were controlling, I mean, you went through her phone, you would track the mileage on her car yes i mean who knows what else there was too i mean mm. he could have had other people looking out for her i mean exactly you have a tracker i mean who knows i mean this guy's insane so you never know what yeah. he could have been doing but and this whole thing with the counselor was literally like two months before melissa was killed right well and you just, when, when she was found wow and wow. you just it was, it was that timing. it was that close of a time frame before that horrible day where she was found in the trailer. And this is why being able to get a PI is so important and donating to anyone who's raising money for a PI is huge because think about if this was done initially, how different everything would be if they went and spoke with the counselor, if they just did any sort of investigation from the jump. I mean, we'd be sitting here having a whole different discussion. Right. And, And none of this would have been possible without the help from so many people. I was just, my heart was touched by the amount of people that 
donated and we were able to get a PI because there's no way I would have been able to afford it it's on my expensive. own. It's so expensive and it really it's is. still ongoing, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I just I'm forever thankful and grateful to all the people who yeah. who came out to support us for that. I We couldn't have done any of this and none of this would have been possible without all that help. And you were featured on several YouTube channels, Georgia Marie, Daniel mm-hmm. Hallen, a few others. Uh, Molly Westbrook Molly did it Westbrook. as well. Yep. And so, yeah. When everyone comes together and donates even whatever you have, I mean, it doesn't have to be a huge amount. It makes right. a huge difference. And yeah. like she said, she's still funding the PI. This is ongoing. It's going to be going for a while. So we have that information below if you would like to donate because I think it's really amazing to see the action actually yes. happening before our eyes. Right. And knowing that it does help. It really does. It really does. Okay. Well, we're about to get into some pretty intense details of okay this case. So just a warning to everyone out there. So on October 3rd, 2008, Joey allegedly beat Melissa severely and left her wrapped in a blanket on a mattress in his trailer. Melissa was in excruciating pain, but Joey did not try to get her any sort of medical attention or help of any kind. He literally just left there alone for days on end while he just went about his normal daily life. Would just go to work, right. right? Yeah. Like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. He didn't let on to anybody that anything was going on. But your mom was calling because she was like, I haven't heard from her. Right. So what's something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. She called and Joey answered at one point and said that she just wasn't feeling good. He said, oh, she fell in the bathroom, but she's okay. Mm-hmm. Which tells me a lot because the amount of injury she had to say that, oh, but she's okay. Um, um, but she's sleeping right now. And we're like, is she okay? Are you sure she's okay? Yeah, she's totally fine. Just sleeping. And then if she's okay, then why can't she get on the phone for a minute to just say, Hey guys, I'm okay. I fell. Exactly. Like you guys are obviously like, this makes no sense. This is absolutely. Yeah. It's like, she's asleep right now. Okay. And then called back, rang, 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 went to the two, uh, you know, answer machine back when answer machines were a big thing, left a message. Called back again. You could tell he had taken the answer machine off because mm. it just rang and rang and rang at that point. And wow. at that point, we're like, nah. This so, is something this is weird. going on. Very weird. So that's when a welfare check was called in. So your mom called her probation officer. That's right. Which, I mean, thank God she did. Yeah. Uh, because he's very close. And she's like, can you just swing by there and check on her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So probation officer on October 8th visits Joey's trailer and that's when they find Melissa barely alive inside covered head to toe in bruises head to toe truly she was absolutely covered in bruises yeah and huge ones too yeah these aren't just like little bumps and bruises Michelle did want us to show the images I think it's important like you said for people to see the severity of this attack and just a warning ahead of time though they are very disturbing to look at, very upsetting. Well, not only that, but she's she's found lying in her own urine, feces, mm-hmm. other bodily fluids. She's lethargic and obviously suffering from extreme pain. Yeah. Um and, I mean, I can't even can't even imagine what that must have been like to see her like that and just realize, I mean, everything re- really comes together very quickly. I mean, this is not just, you know, what Joey's saying. This isn't an accidental, oh, she's, you know, 
this is something really serious that just happened. So her probation officer immediately called the paramedics. And you want to you want to talk about what the paramedics said and just and her. first of all, before yeah. we go forward, how many days do you believe she was lying there? Um, based on what the doctor said, they said anywhere from six to eleven days. Wow! So it could have been up to that long, but I mean, even even two days, six. even a day is you know. But yeah, yeah, six to eleven of laying like that's what gets me. Um, well, it was six days that went by without your mom hearing from her at all, where she really started to get worried. Right. Right. Um, and so we don't know how many days before that this even happened. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first responders get there and their report is very telling, actually. They um they said her condition was the absolute worst they've ever seen. They said the moment they walked in that trailer, they could smell all the body fluids, the feces, the urine. When they came upon her, she was naked from the waist down. She had a shirt that was like halfway on, like one of her arms was, you know, completely out. She could not move. She was wrapped in a blanket. And um, she wouldn't have been able to move and call for help herself. So that's how he left her there. So she, she ended up getting uh, airlifted to the hospital. And there we found that she had a jaw broken in two places, one, one on each side. She had to have an emergency craniotomy um, because she had a severe brain bleed. And she had bruises of varying age all over her body. She had bruising around her pelvic region that's indicative, allegedly, of possible sexual assault as she was laying there helpless. Um, And, you know, she had to have tubes put in her head and... She, oh, she had teeth smashed in. She had toes that were broken. Um, and then the marks, too. Yeah, and then one, another thing is she had what looked like a strangulation mark around her neck. And that's something the police, when we ask about, have never had an explanation for. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, so did she get that from falling? You know, I mean, it, and it was bad, and it was dark, and it was all the way around her neck. She had black eyes. Um just battered head to toe and the thought of her laying like that and I, I unimaginable pain for days on end like haunts me i truly can't imagine having those thoughts and having to go on and live your life after because you guys went to the hospital you saw yes. her we had went right there i was in texas at the time Went straight to North Carolina, saw her. I mean, she was having like seizures. She was starting to have those. So she she had these like restraints on her arms so that you know what I mean? Um and just seeing the tubes in her head. And to be told by the detective, oh, you know, Joey said she fell in the bathroom. And And to understand the bathroom in this this trailer is very, very small, and he said he that she fell on a little tiny plastic trash can. Um, Which but is, it, yeah, but again, she had like she, her jaw's broken here and it's broken here. Makes no yeah. sense. I mean, her injuries are more consistent with somebody who fell off a fifty foot cliff or something. Exactly. Like this, there's just no way that anybody could 
take a fall in a bathroom exactly and end up with these injuries and i just want to point out too that when when first responders get there so obviously paramedics are dispatched police are dispatched it's interesting that the paramedics pretty much know right away like what's going on here and yeah, the doctors do. the medical staff even like you said talk to you about that mm-hmm. oh like, yeah this is very clear a very serious case of abuse that's exactly it's in their report too um they clearly said this is a you know 31 female really when you female who's the victim of prolonged abuse mm-hmm. i mean they wrote all that were those words right, in there mm-hmm. i mean it was apparent to anybody who looks at her yeah i'm like what are you trying to say did she get up fall get up fall get up fall yeah. get up what? over and over and over I, I, just bang herself on the wall i know like, what? can you explain to us how that one officer told you she broke her jaw in two places by falling yes the captain oldenburg was his name at the time he told my mom because my mom was like well how did she get a jaw broken on two different sides he said well maybe she fell and you know hit her head on the toilet this way and it made her bounce up and her turn and then hit the side i didn't understand why they were trying to justify joey's story that she fell in the bathroom so much it made no sense to me and eat and even the detective at the time, his name was Brayden. I remember being in a room with him at the hospital and I was just getting confused. I said, well, are y'all going to arrest him? This is pretty clear case of abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, well, you know, we have to investigate. I said, okay, how about negligence for leaving a human being in your home right. suffering like that? You know, and, and he had the nerve to tell me that, oh, Joey was taking care of her. I'm like, how was how was he taking care of her exactly? Well, he was feeding her and keeping her hydrated and all this. And I'm like, how can you eat with a jaw broken in two places? And he said, you can eat with a broken jaw. And he got up and he left the room. That's the what attitude we were dealing and you've with. You've got to like wonder why. They're why like, they're exactly? Like, <laughs> you how went are into they this for a living. I yeah. mean, oh, it's. It's so hard to wrap your mind around how that yeah. could immediately be the attitude that you're met with. Oh, yeah. And yeah, of course. And I was just like, I, my jaw, I was just yeah. blabbergasted. I, yeah. I, I could not believe that yeah. interaction just happened. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't want anything else to do with talking to my family. And it's already so much for you guys to process as it is what's going on and then process what these people are telling you right. during these moments. So when you first found out that she was hospitalized, did you have any idea how bad it was until you actually got there? Not until I got there. I mean, I heard some things. Oh, my God. But when I got there and I saw her and <laughs> one of the hardest things I've ever seen in my life, mm-hmm. I I could not believe what I was looking at. And all the doctors were they had warned me before I went in to see that they said she's in really bad shape. You know, and so when I saw her like that, I'm like, okay, I'm talking to a nurse and I'm talking to a doctor and they're like, we are so sorry that she has been the victim of prolonged horrific abuse. And they're like, that's when they were telling me there's bruises of varying age and they're, they're saying big ones. Yeah. So this is prolonged. You can see it in the pictures. You can. The different shades in the bruising. Yeah, different shades and very dark ones. And there's mm-hmm. some you can tell are healing. Yeah. Um, like I said, her toes were broken. Even her teeth were smashed in. I, it, 
horrendous, horrific injuries from head. And it's no exaggeration. It's head to toe. Yeah, I'm just so sorry your family had to go through that experience of seeing her like that. That was hard. Absolutely horrific. And she was supposedly interviewed by the detective who claimed she said this, she claimed said that. Oh, Joey didn't do it, whatever. Exonerated him or something. There's no proof of this. There's no record of him even being there and interviewing um, her. I just know my sister was able to muster up enough energy to talk to my mom and my other sister. The last words my sister said were talking about the things Joey did to her. She said he, you know, slammed her against a wall, that he grabbed her by her neck, dragged her outside, ripped her shirt, which coincides with the fact that she, her shirt was like half ripped off, and that he hit her over that with something hard. And then she didn't remember anything else. We told the police this, and they said, oh, that's hearsay. There's nothing we can do about it. That is unbelievable to me. We were talking about this earlier. How can it be considered hearsay when this was, she was saying this in the hospital, doctors are around, you guys alerted the doctors about what she was saying as well. How is that hearsay? Exactly. And there were two people. There's like my mom and my other sister. And I even looked into like, couldn't this possibly be like one of those like deathbed confession type situations? You know what I mean? And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't fall under that either. So they they just didn't care. They're like, it's hearsay. We didn't hear it. So it didn't happen. Basically, was the attitude. Again, this is alleged, but it, it makes you feel like there is some reason why they were protecting Joey or some there was something for them to gain by having this go the other way. When the right. whole medical team is saying this is prolonged abuse, right. she is saying that her family saying that and they don't even want to look into it further. Right. Well, think about this, too. I was just oh, this was kept coming up in my mind. Was, and he says Joey was basically a caretaker. I'm like. Any other case. So yeah. imagine this was an elderly person mm-hmm. and a caretaker. If an elderly person was, you know, a percentage of the state the that Melissa was in condition, there would be elder abuse charges. There'd be like this caretaker well, would be not you know, always, but not always, but, but, investigation. but I'm yeah. saying like if it, a battered elderly person or even just any sort of person that needs a caretaker in any other situation, there would be some sort of charges against that person. Whether, you know, I mean, there's just, it blows my mind that they are immediately just going towards this was just, you know, Joey was trying to do the right thing by keeping her alive, essentially. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like giving her alcohol. They found liquor by the yeah, bed. Yeah, right. he and was doing that. Yeah. They would say she was, he was keeping her hydrated and it was literally right. liquor. Yeah, there was a, a soda can found on the nightstand next to the bed. Oh my God. They had a straw in it. And it was filled with liquor. Did Detective Braden even go into Joey's trailer and into the room she was in? Do you I'm know, not sure do you know if he, if he even ever did. even saw where she was? Or I don't know. that It was never treated as a crime scene, ever. Okay. I just know Joey took that mattress out that she was found on and burned it. So any DNA, anything that would have gone with it was is completely destroyed. Burned and, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's just, it's horrific thinking that he wasn't held responsible at all. Or that there's like just not nothing. any questions or no. why wouldn't you even... Why were you going to work when she's lying on the floor of the bathroom? Bring him in and question him even a little bit. 
Yeah. Even just like make sure he can give you an accurate timeline of the events yeah. that led to her being in the state. So he act Detective Braden went to the hospital, saw Melissa in the state she was. So he physically saw Melissa in her the state she was in. Right. And he, even after that, went with the story that this was fall or repeated falls or whatever because she's drunk and intoxicated all the time and and joey was just trying to keep her keep her alive and keep her going right. rather than doing what a normal person would do and like take her to rehab get her help get you know get some sort of medical attention to her when she's i mean in what world is it okay to leave somebody lying in their own feces and bodily fluids bleeding and right. bruised like in in what way is that caretaking in any way shape or form right and he was asked and he lied he changed his story he was asked why didn't he call 911 and at first he said oh she didn't want me to and then he changed his story and he said oh well they've come out here so many times they they wouldn't have come out anyway so it didn't matter and that's not how 911 works <laughs> at all so it's so, just just absolute do you crap. think that he if if it wasn't for your mom calling her probation officer do you think Joey would have ever called 911 or would he have just Oh, absolutely not. Just let it ride out and see, you know. I think he would have left her there. And what really gets me is when she was in the hospital, the doctor said, see what was happening and, and what was kind of unseen in her head, though, was a brain bleed that was going on. Mm -hmm. um, and it, there was all the outward horrible injuries, and you could tell that she needed help. I mean, nobody sits there and goes to the bathroom on themselves, you know, yeah. because they can't move. But she had a brain bleed, and the doctor said if she would have been brought in day one, she would probably have made it and still be alive today. But him, him leaving her there, and that brain, uh, brain bleed just kept going and going yeah, day after day, yeah. damage after damage after damage. He is completely responsible for her death. Absolutely. Yeah, just in that sense. Just in that sense alone. Mm -hmm. Not even counting all the other horrific injuries. Mm -hmm. Even that. So you add that on top of everything else. He's yeah. completely responsible you for it. You would think there'd be something he'd be culpable for in that situation. And Absolutely. that has got to be so just infuriating to you it and is. your family. Uh, did you ever feel like just raging on the detective? Like, if it were me, I'd be so angry. I'd be so pissed. How, how'd you even deal with that? Like, hearing that him say that to you. Like, how do you not just get angry and upset and I was so angry. At first, I was just so shocked. Like, I couldn't believe what I yeah, just you're like, heard. What? I'm like, wait, did I just hear that right? Yeah. You know, um, and he took off, but I kept pressing when I saw him again. I'm like, no, you can't eat with a broken jaw. Um, no, he was not taking care of her. Something needs to be done. Why aren't y'all doing something? And uh, yeah, I wanted to rage bad. <laughs> but you got to maintain some sense of, you know, when you're getting for? some bullshit answers yeah. like he's giving, I know I mean, it's right, it's like, but it's like you don't you want to, you don't want to make them more angry or exactly make them not like, want to help shoot, you. I'm not yeah. dealing with this. Well, so it's, it's shocked. It's shocked to too. I mean, you're in shock yeah. in the whole I situation, was. and just mm -hmm. you're and you're. I think you're also hoping that they're going to do the right thing. They're gonna, you know, at that point, you're still hoping that they're going to go investigate it, like they say they're going to, and that ultimately they're going to arrest him. Right. But and they didn't even, I mean, they didn't do anything nothing. that they should have in order to 
make sure they could charge him and have the evidence they need to prosecute him in the court of law for all of these crimes that he's committed. But they did right. none of that. None of it. And then they closed that case quick. You know, like they were just yep. done with it and did they ever move on to the next. What was their thoughts on the medical examiner's ruling? Like, what did they, did you ever have a meeting with them about that? Like, well, the medical examiner saying it's undetermined. This is not, they're not saying that this is natural causes or whatever. I don't even know what, what sort Accidental. of explanation from a, you know, death certificate point of view you would put on there for this type of, of death. Yeah, it, it wasn't even a complete autopsy that was done. It was, it was kind of half-assed to be honest and undetermined. Like, well, we can't tell. Maybe he did, maybe not. We don't know. Undetermined. And, and there was a lot of stuff missed because all of her medical documentation was given to the PI team because on the PI team, there is actually a medical doctor who has 30 years experience. He was a surgeon and he joined, he, you know, he had retired, but then he joined uh, the PI firm that I hired. And so he went over everything and he created and we have our own new medical examination yeah. and all, all that stuff. And there was so much to it that was. Oh, I'm sure never mentioned mm -hmm. on the other one. And there's been kind of a history with that original medical examiner that uh, shows he doesn't do the best job when it comes to Well, it poses autopsies. the question, why? Why did he not do such a thorough job? Right. Why did he... Is it just laziness? Is it, it, it seemed like there. laziness, and it wasn't just my sisters. It was like multiple others it was found, and there's no telling how many families are out there like us yeah. that are dealing with the results of that medical examiner. Mm-hmm. Which is just, it's so angering to think that there's just people out there in these positions yeah. that don't give a shit. And it's so yeah. common, it just, too. You can tell he didn't give a shit. Like, it's just like, ah, uh, whatever. It meanwhile, like, it, it's almost like they get desensitized. I don't know what it is. It's like, over time, they just stop caring. Or it's yeah. like, why'd you get into this this field in the first place if you're not going to do your job thoroughly? Right. Like, your job's very important. <laughs> there's a reason why there's only, like, one of you usually right. in most counties so why aren't you taking every Such case like yeah it's a huge responsibility i mean so much is determined based off of the medical examiner's report I mean, right it's, it's really wild that so many of the cases that we have covered on this show on my channel it's same situation the medical examiner has history multiple people that this has happened to and they mm -hmm. still have their jobs right it's just shocking or they're sort of crafting their their report to fit the police's narrative yeah and that's the yeah, really hard thing is it's wonder. rather than being this independent examination mm -hmm. free of any bias, it's instead has tons of bias and the police department's ultimately, you know, whoever's in charge there is ultimately making sure that the report comes back to reflect the way the case was investigated and ultimately what they ruled, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the case was. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me that homicide never even crossed anybody's <laughs> minds there or maybe it did and they're just like yeah whatever and right. then that leads to a whole a whole other thing is Ruffle. like is there a reason for that like why do they give a why do they care about joey like joey's a bad yeah. dude you don't want this guy in your community he's going right. around terrorizing people right. he's dangerous like why wouldn't you as a law enforcement entity why wouldn't you want to get this guy off the street like you have everything you need to lock him up forever. Right. Why not do it? 
that's the big question I get. Yeah. That's a million yeah. dollar question is why not? Why not just at least bring him in for questioning? Ask him some simple questions about the timeline. How did it get this bad? And start like it's just so basic. And that's what's so hard about this is like, why couldn't they? Why couldn't Detective Braden at least do that? At least bring at him least. in for questioning. Give him a polygraph. You know, do the normal things that detectives do and see if he trips up or he's lying or like, I mean, come on. It's it's not rocket science. It's like it's pretty simple. Just even talk to the guy. And then but here's the thing is it was botched from the beginning. They didn't rule the crime scene. They right. automatically five minutes yep. after showing up like, oh, this is accidental. Yeah. You know, we're just going to roll with that. And we'll exactly case close. There's another one. Check that one off the list. We'll add it to our win column at the yep. department and move on. And and it's just it's such a shame that these departments don't do their jobs. It's and ultimately families pay the pay the price and the victim ultimately pays the price too. Yep. Because they don't get justice. So when, there there was one point where Michelle was conscious enough to talk to the police themselves for a little bit. However, she was on a ton of pain medication at this time. And she didn't seem to fully know what was going on. Obviously, at this point, she has a brain injury. It's, it's been days upon days. And she told the police that she was in a car accident, which obviously she was not Who in a knows car if accident. she even said that, though? Is there any right, record right. to back that up? No, Where's the recording? Record Why wouldn't you record that? I'm not aware of any recording. Apparently, it's just text on a paper that we were given. <sighs> that's, a, that's a joke. Which has yeah. always been very suspicious to me. And I thought they would record yeah, that. Yeah, but. you would think. I mean, it's in the 2000s. Why wouldn't they have, even a small county like that should have basic recording equipment. Right. Oh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he like, does. Uh, mm. He probably just picks and chooses when he wants to use it. They also claim that she told them that she was just clumsy and fell down a lot. Um, obviously, these are not wounds from falling down a lot. No. Um, but it's... Very common in cases of abuse for women to want to protect the abuser. Absolutely. So it's odd that they didn't even consider that. They just took her word word for it. And I think that's very interesting that what she told you guys was completely different, but they consider that hearsay. Yet they have a patient who is, you know, completely out of it on pain medication and they're going to take her word for that. Right. It's unbelievable. So Melissa was in the ICU for nine weeks. Yes. Were you out there for that whole time then? Yep. And just, you know, the doctors are trying to do everything they can. They're trying to get the brain bleeds under control. I think right. that was really the hardest part to her injuries was was getting the brain bleeding under control. Right. Um, and just, I mean, God, I mean, that affects everything too. That I mean, that's going to affect the seizures and, and, and all the other... Yeah, she started having them very frequently at that point because the brain bleed did a lot of damage. And who knows, you know, while she was laying there before she was found, it was bleeding. So lots and lots of damage was done. Right, right. And they're trying to, you know, it's filling up with fluids. They're trying to drain the yep. fluids out. I mean, they're trying to... Too. They're doing their best to mitigate the damage that's happening. But right. ultimately, it got to a point where the doctors were just... They said that's she's essentially... There's no way to come back from from this injury. Is that what they right. said? Okay. Right. They um said that she started developing necrosis, which is just when tissue dies, mm. and it was spreading through her brain. So her brain was dying, definitely, essentially. So Melissa 
was pronounced brain dead on December 17th, 2008. Mm-hmm. And that is got to be the hardest decision anybody has to to make for a family member to essentially just i mean you have to pull the plug you have to just come to the point where you realize that there's just no there's no way back from this and i can't even i can't even imagine you don't want her to continue suffering obviously right right and then by then i think her entire she was branded completely like the necrosis that spread everywhere. Right. So, right. yeah. When you guys first came to the hospital, did you have hope that she would pull through? The, initially, when we first yeah. got there, yes, I did. I had hope. So um, at what point in those nine weeks did you start to feel like it just wasn't going to happen? After the last time she was able to say those words to my sister and my mom, she just stopped completely and then she started having those seizures and she started and that's why she had to be kind of restrained because she was having them so often um i could just tell and i would stand by her bed and hold her hand and yeah. and just try to talk to her and hope she could hear me and i mean i never got like any kind of squeeze back on my hand or anything like mm-hmm. that um, so I, I, at that point, I just felt like, you know, maybe um, I, I was trying to be positive in my mind. I'm like, maybe she's just in a coma right now. Or, you know, I always hear these things where people sometimes are, when they're in the coma, they can hear you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the doctor's are like, Michelle, she's not, she's not, she's, you know, necrosis is going, is setting in. So, um, that, that day we had to make the decision to take her off life support. I just remember, uh, sorry, <laughs> I remember holding her hand and I knew what happened to her and I know who did this to her and I remember telling her how sorry I was and I felt so guilty. I'm sorry I wasn't there and I told her I would fight for her. It's like I told her, I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm going to do everything I can to get her justice. And so I made that promise to her then. And, and uh, that's why that I've promise. been fighting so hard. It's it's really incredible what you've done, given how just horrifically difficult this is for you to to keep going and <laughs> fighting for her. Um, she would be so proud. She really would. And just year after year after year of trying to go through the right channels the police the district attorney up to this the the attorney general the governor i mean we sent letters to all these people i i started contacting all these like major uh news organizations like nancy curry all these people like anybody i could and just nobody ever would get back to me nobody and then that's what set me on the path that i just had an epiphany and i said you know what i'm just gonna try this i'm gonna contact these true crime youtubers that i've that i watch and just see if maybe i can get exposure to a case, her case that way yeah and that's how this whole thing started is because nothing else was working and i'm like i've got to do something i've got to do something and and the response has just been so heartwarming mm-hmm. there's been so many people and i said at the beginning 
if if anything, if if I'm not able to get justice for her, and and I no matter how hard I try, I said if anything, I hope people will hear their story and see what can happen if you stay in a situation like this. And I just had hoped that it could help people, you know, some kind of legacy um, uh, for Melissa. And I've, I've actually received so many messages from people and the support has been just, just to show support. But I've had people tell me like, Oh my God, I watched, I watched, you know, Kendall's video or, I watched Danielle's video and, and they would say, I'm in a bad situation and I need to get out, you know, and that kind of response has been at least rewarding in that sense that fully what happened to her can help other people. It's truly making a huge difference. And I mean, not to diminish what true crime YouTubers do or like, you know, myself does, but it's kind of wild that you contact all these other professionals who are supposed to help and the only people who can really bring you that help are some girls on with Google and YouTube. Like, it's just, it's crazy that that's really where people, that's all, the only place people have to turn to at the end is getting that public support somehow. And it's amazing that we can do that, but it's yeah. just so sad and so broken that the people who are supposed to be there to help and it's their job and they've been professionally trained and hopefully gotten educations to do so, just don't do it. And I think that's that's not only just shocking and upsetting, it's also scary just as a citizen thinking if this type of thing happens to you or your loved one, you might have no one to go to. Right. Your only hope is hopefully getting in touch with a YouTuber or a podcaster. But I mean, that's... Which that's has the, been amazing, That's actually. the beauty yeah. of what, no, that, I, I what was this like, is. This is. I was like, wow, this mm -hmm. and I, I learned through this experience. I'm like, these are these people are the ones who actually care. Right, they're the ones out here trying to do good for people. Yeah, you know, and that's what I've found. And I've 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 just found like this is the best possible thing that could have happened. And yeah. you know, I make friendships and 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 the response has been so overwhelming that I'm just mm -hmm. I'm just so thankful. Like everybody in the true crime community has been yeah. absolutely amazing. Some amazing people out there. It's it's truly incredible to see how much can actually be done and how many people will stand up and say something after hearing these these stories. And yeah, I think it's incredible what we're able to do and how I had no idea how many people we could reach and really get action in these cases. Yeah. But again, it's just it's really sad to me and scary to me that for some people, that's the only hope is trying to go to the Internet. Mm -hmm. And but the Internet should be discounted because the Internet has given us our power back right it really has and it's it's and great I'm as not we've saying seen it's not, but. is that and that we were having this whole discussion before we we record this this podcast is like looking at the current state of the criminal justice system and sort of what the priorities are for law enforcement i believe that many of their priorities are in the wrong place you look at the war on drugs and mm -hmm. just all that yeah all the crap that's come out of that all of the people that have been jailed for for just the dumbest, you know, possession of marijuana. I mean, it's just abs absurd when meanwhile, there's people that are being abused, being killed. There's sex offenders out there. There's child abuse out there that are having to fight this hard just to get in an investigation mm -hmm. 
Meanwhile, if we go went and started looking into what Lenore County Sheriff's Department's been up to and what they're doing, and I guarantee you they're they're out there busting down doors, arresting drug dealers, you know, which is fine, but it's like, where's our priorities at? Mm -hmm. There's a dangerous man out there who could potentially have more victims that is walking free right now. Meanwhile, you're more concerned about the guy selling a little bit of weed down the street. It's just like, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's just your family can't even get calls back. Can't get calls back for something that is so horrific and so violent and scary and should not happen to anybody. And this is what you're there to do is to protect and serve the citizens that live in your jurisdiction and you're choosing to ignore them. And in order to, get their attention you have to create this huge ruckus you have to go yeah. Yeah. seek out people that are willing to create awareness around your case yeah, and basically get people to harass them and right doing the yeah. right that's thing what, yeah. that's pretty much what we got to do is shake them down useful like, it works we've seen it work very quickly in a lot of different cases but it's so frustrating that that is really where we're at right that you you can call these people directly and they're not going to do anything they're going to tell you to stop calling sometimes didn't they tell oh, you yeah. to stop calling yeah, um, the the old captain, he's not there anymore. His name is Oldenburg. Apparently, he's a private investigator now in North Carolina. But Oh, wow. Okay. Watch he, out for him. I yeah. know. <laughs> so he ended up telling my mom to stop calling him and gave him a number of some other guy because he just didn't want to deal with my mom anymore. And now the guy um, who took on the case now, his name is Ryan Dawson. He is the chief deputy of the Lenore, Lenore County Sheriff's Department. And um, my uh, private investigator met with him, gave him a massive booklet of all their case findings. And Mr. Dawson said he's personally going to look into this case. Mm. Um, Now, I've left him voicemails. He has not responded to me. He did call my mom back one time. And he told my mom, you know, just because the death certificate has been changed to homicide doesn't automatically mean that there's going to be an arrest. He said he needs to reinvestigate, you know, and then uh, re-interview people and it, it might take time. Um, but he hasn't responded to her any anymore because my mom was, you know, would, and I would call because we would just like to see, are you actually looking into this? Sure. Your trust it's, in them right. is zero. I just mm-hmm. want so. a status update, yeah. you know, and I personally back. never got a call back from him. That's so just that's disgusting. what frustrated me. And, and it's okay. It's like, I understand I'm trying to be patient. I know things take time. But just the courtesy of a call back Mm -hmm. to let me know, hey, I haven't forgot. I am looking into this. Here's what I've done so far Mm -hmm. would be so helpful right now. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. My trust is zero and it still is. Right. Especially when you're not calling me back. Show me progress. (laughs) Exactly. I assume nothing's happening. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. He he, he hasn't called me. He stopped calling my mom. Um, You know, I don't know what's going on with it. Apparently. I mean, he said it's reopened. Um, other than that, I have no idea what's going on with it. So I would, I would love to have some kind of response, some kind of status update. Anything from him would be helpful at this point. Anything is better than the nothing that I'm getting right now. Yeah. Or just like, Hey, I'm working on it. Yeah. Just know I'm working on it. Like, yeah, you can't even provide that. Yeah. Courtesy that would go is, is very crazy. far for me right now. Just to be like, okay, okay. You haven't forgot about us. I feel You're like actually doing it. Yeah. And Are now, you though? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you really don't know. There and should be a way to like track your case, yeah, online, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. so that you can track I your get, pizza being made, but right. you can't track right. your 
I mean, it's crazy. Like I get yeah. detectives, like all detectives are different. Some of them are more personal to others. Some are kind of like, eh, I don't really want to talk to people. I want to work or whatever. Whatever. So it's like your job, either get some sort of person. I think departments either have a person that their only job is to communicate updates to family members and, and yeah. work with the victims. It's somebody that actually cares. That's actually like somebody you could speak to and feel comfortable talking to and, and, they can go deal with the detectives on their own, on yeah. their side. Yeah, the liaison. Yeah, liaison. Exactly. Kind of like exactly. a, a client coordinator, you know, in yeah. other other worlds. It and, would make sense. And or have something online. social worker, even. Something, right. yeah, somebody. And the district attorney, uh, Matt Delbridge, has never responded to any of my calls or my mom's calls. So, you know, right, guys. I, I know I, it, apparently, you know, it, what's supposed to happen is the case is reopened. Ryan Dawson said he was taking it upon himself to investigate himself. And then once he's done, then it would be up to him to recommend or push this over to Matt Delbridge, the district attorney. And it right. would be up to the district attorney on whether or not they would maybe call it a grand jury to see if they want to go ahead and take this to trial. So that concerns me because Matt Delbridge has been, has he has had one, like you could tell it was a canned response letter. Mm-hmm. That got sent to my mom just saying, we're sorry for your loss, but there's really, there's really nothing we can do. And it's like, yeah, there, there actually Shut is up. something you can do. Yeah. So, I, you know, my faith in him is, <laughs> is not there. Mm-mm. So I'm, I'm just scared. Like, okay, what if Ryan Dawson sends us over to Matt and Matt's just like, uh, you know, and does nothing, mm-hmm. you know, it could stop at that point too. I just want to know what's going on with it, where it's at. And why with the, especially with the, with the private investigation team is done. They've done all the work for them. They have, like I said, a ma- massive, massive books that they've put together for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't understand with the overwhelming amount of evidence that even the pictures speak for themselves yeah, of my sister's really injuries. Why nothing has happened. Nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what gets me. Nothing at all. It's, and this has been since 2008 <laughs> that we've been fighting for this. And it's just ridiculous at this point. 12 years, 13 years, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. So now is a good time, guys. We have the information for these people below. You can (laughs) email them, tweet them, light them up, and remind them that Melissa's family needs answers, that they should at least get a response, and that we are waiting for her to get justice. At least present it to a grand jury. Mm -hmm. That's all we've ever asked for. That's all. That's where... (laughs) It's the only thing that can be done is bring it to a grand jury and let a grand jury look at it. And we all know that you let 12 people look at it. They're all going to come yeah. to the same conclusion. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why? I just, I, I don't understand the hesitation with DAs to present cases to I grand juries. Cause it's like, I, I don't, I don't understand. What do you have to lose really? Like let, let them give you the yeah. recommendation and then exactly. you, you can go off of that. Like, why are you blocking it even going to there? Unless right. there's other pieces that they don't want to come to light because if it does ultimately go to trial they know that all this is going to come up and you know or officers Mm -hmm. are going to be held accountable for their lack of action and lack of investigation initially because i mean ultimately in these cases it does come back to somebody somebody messed this up like somebody did not look at this the right way or through yep. the right lens multiple people and multiple <laughs> a lot of times those people still work within their department so are they going to go throw yeah. one of their own under the bus for not doing a good job and not looking at this with objective eyes that oh maybe 
fall. Hmm, Joey, that doesn't really make sense. And if this mistake was busted right, right open and they saw that Joey just got away with it, imagine what other things people right. got away and with. Right, and that's, that's kind of what we've come to the conclusion is that oftentimes if they go, you know, they walk back everything for this case yeah. and other victims' families out there see that, mm -hmm. then before they know Gives it, they've them got... some power. They've got a ton of people coming to them and... Ultimate and and like I said to you, it ultimately comes back to ego a lot of times. Like oh yeah, like Matt and you know some of these DAs. I mean, they've got some big egos, and you know they're trying to, mm -hmm. you know, present themselves in a certain way, and and they don't. The last thing they want is to have people underneath them that aren't doing their job, or you know the the DA is not doing his job, and you know that all sort of comes to light, or a judge sees that, or I mean, who knows what they're exactly worried about, but. I mean, it's just so clear that the priorities are in the wrong place. Definitely. Victims are not at the forefront for many of these people's, you know, in their minds and their jobs. And you're literally, what'd you get into criminal justice for? If you're not going to bring justice for victims and prosecute criminals, like what Who are we knows? doing here? Right. Meanwhile, you run the risk of another victim, another, uh, I mean, like you said, there might be others out there already. I mean, who knows? and there probably are it's just it's sad yeah. it's honestly sad it's honestly sad that there's so much evidence and yet we're just kind of sitting around waiting yeah. for them to review it what is there to review mm -hmm. how long does it take to go through this evidence like i think you show the pictures to a jury and a jury's going to be like yeah this looks consistent with mm -hmm. extensive abuse yeah i mean it could be more complicated than that. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. But but still, I just think from a very basic level, it just doesn't make any sense why they're not, you know, pushing this through as fast as they could right. to get this guy off the street because he shouldn't be out there. Yeah, definitely. Before he hurt somebody else, which who knows? Sounds like who he, has been he hurt may have, since. Yeah. I mean, this was a long time ago. This happened to my sister. There's no telling Yeah. how many other victims there are. I mean, I already know. His two ex-wives were victims. I mean, his own sons. Sons saw him do stuff. Saw him do stuff, and they're they don't like him at all. You know, hasn't he also made threats towards his own mother? Oh yeah. And his family's willing to back your family oh, yeah. up. That's a, that's another thing. I I was contacted by uh, Joey's niece, and um, at first I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what this is going to be about, but I, I you know I went ahead and contacted her and the first thing she said you know she said her heart went out to me and my family for what happened and that the whole family wholeheartedly believes and knows he did this to melissa wow. and that they would back us mm -hmm. and that they pretty much disowned him because of how horrible of some of a person he is they said he hasn't outright said it but he's alluded to and made jokes over the years about how he got away with what what happened with melissa um so i thought that spoke volumes that his own family that really does doesn't has, doesn't want anything to do with him and is willing to back us in any way that they, they, they said in any way they can they would help us no oh, good for them <laughs> which yeah i'm sure that took a lot of courage for her to reach out yeah and um and I don't know, it just it hit me, it hit me really hard as I said, wow, you know, for him to think it's such a funny thing to mm -hmm. get away with it over the years that, oh, man, God, that, 
piece of shit. Angered me so much. Oh, I can't imagine. It angers me. I just really can't imagine this being my sister, you know? I, I can't imagine what you feel every single day. And hearing every little detail like that, and then to hear he's just laughing. Yeah. Sickening. It, it is. It truly is. Uh, I'm really hoping and praying that they they do the right thing and they they prosecute him. Yeah. I mean, That's all we've ever wanted, really. Just, we've Just please trial uh, bring it to trial that's literally all we've ever asked for at least we could i mean it would be hard to live with it if he was somehow in some weird world found not guilty i don't know how that would even happen yeah um but at least we would know that it was taken right. to that level right and mm -hmm. we could have the opportunity figure out how to do i don't know how i guess when you're found not guilty you're, that's it you can't be retried or anything but yeah. i just i feel like with everything the evidence there's no way there's no way he'd be found. And I mean, we don't even no know what charges they'd even bring against him. Too. Right. So there could be multiple charges that multiple. even yep. if he there wasn't necessarily be. found guilty yeah. of homicide, that he could be found of a number of other abuse and assault charges. Yeah, there's as like well. negligent homicide is another yeah. one I looked into. Um, yeah, there was quite a few. I mean, I think at the very least, if if this goes to trial and and he's convicted that at least he's gonna pay some sort of punishment and he's gonna go to prison for some time. I yeah. mean, anything is better than nothing. Exactly. Or maybe there's some sort of plea deal or something that's done, you know, and he just pleads guilty and they give him a, you know, X amount of time or whatever. I mean, anything at this point, just some sort of admission of guilt and or, you know, to find him guilty for this is would be the best case scenario, I think. Absolutely. Would sort of suffice for getting justice yeah. at this point mm -hmm. to just have it so left open like this has just got to be I don't, I don't even know how you deal with it i mean i just yeah. i just have so much admiration and respect for for you and, and other victims of of you know domestic violence victims but just anybody that's a victim of a crime that hasn't been prosecuted and brought to justice because it's just got to be the the hardest thing to deal with knowing that you're doing everything that you can but there's others out there mm -hmm. that aren't just so tough. I mean, so strong to to just go through this day in day out and just keep keep up keep the fight fighting, and just yeah. know that like it's never over. Like there's not an end to this. Like even if they do, you know, a DA ends up not wanting to present it to a grand jury. Well, you know what? You can always get another DA in there eventually, and maybe yep. one day another DA yeah. will. You know, there are some some checks and balances with the system for that very reason that you know these people aren't in there for life. You know, right. they're not life appointed to these positions. So. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the current detective or sheriff, whoever's in charge of the department, doesn't want to do anything that maybe eventually somebody will. And it's just keeping yeah. up that, keep that hope alive. That That's something I've thought of, you know, because, yeah, um, we've had, we've gone through more than one district attorney who has done nothing. But I have thought, OK, if, if Matt does nothing, then a new one will come in mm -hmm. and, and hopefully then. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll at least know there's still an avenue to pursue I hope it doesn't have to get to that. <laughs> I hope Matt does the right thing. I really do. Um, Matt, uh, do he's right somebody thing. who just does not respond. I know my, my PI team tried to meet Trash. with him and he wouldn't meet with them, but he, he set up a meeting with, a, with some assistant and the PI team, but that's mm. about all he would do. So, so busy. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. He, that's what, that was his thing. He's always, I'm so busy. It, it, he was doing some 
drug case or something. He was busy, of busy, busy. Of course. <laughs> exactly. Always busy. They're, they're <laughs> on top of the drug cases. Man. Oh, yeah, he was. They go so. after those. I mean, they get those pushed right through, which is always so interesting yep. to me that that's such a priority for so many DAs across the country. It's like, we got to prosecute these these people drugs, man. It's ruining yep. it. They're ruining that our was his excuse. So. It's so messed up. But I think what you've done is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Getting awareness is so important. And that's why we love doing this is because we've realized how important this is mm-hmm. to, you know, it's one thing to just talk about cases and tell stories and, and, and whatnot, but it's another thing to enact real life, real world change mm-hmm. in these cases and help people and use our platforms to help people because mm-hmm. no one else is doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, we, we take that responsibility. And not only for to, awareness, but fundraising as well. Fundraising I mean, that was really big with the PI video that we did. Huge. I mean, the yeah. fact that yeah. you've got the PI mm-hmm. to get this much information because it's like mm-hmm. the longer you wait to get PI involved in these cases, yeah. the worse off you are because that evidence is going to slowly disappear, right, and deteriorate, or witnesses won't want to come forward or forget. And so, the faster you can get, you know, if you're not getting help from the police, the faster you can get a PI team to do that legwork for you and, and put together that case file for you and kind of gather the information is so, so important because then it at least gives the, you know, sometimes the, sometimes what we've seen police kind of laugh off PIs, you know, they kind of, they don't take oh, them yeah. seriously all the time. Sometimes yeah. they're like, ah, oh, cause they you know, get whatever you're, or, or they just are like, Oh, you know, who are you to tell me how to do my job or whatever? You know, they feel personally offended sometimes by, by PIs. And that's why finding good PIs is so important. Ones that do have previous law enforcement experience where they've worked. Which mine does. So see, and that's so important because they'll actually be like, Oh, okay. This guy worked for this department. I know that department. It's all about who, you know, in this world and, and having PIs that actually have those connections is so important. So I think just getting that done is a huge step in the right direction because that's going to ultimately help get it to the finish line. Yeah. And without it, it would be, way way harder because then you're now asking them to start from square one right and are they going to want are they going to have the time Mm -hmm. to go back and do that or are they going to put that effort in to do it who knows right but a lot of progress has already been made i mean a lot getting the death certificate changed getting the case reopened those are all huge huge things getting the pi involved so now it's about just keep on pushing yep keep the pressure on yeah Mm -hmm. keep Keep letting them know, hey, we're waiting. We're waiting on you. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of other people now who are right. waiting to hear what happens with this. Yeah. And they're going to let you know. And, you know, if it doesn't go our way, just be prepared for the, you know, the backlash you're going to get and just the disappointment of so many people. Yeah. And obviously you and your family. I mean, it's just I just don't understand how you can do that job and not feel personally like responsible for like yeah like letting right letting these families down knowing that you've got family members out there that are sitting around waiting for you to just get back to them on an update or to to bring you know push this as far as you can i just i just don't understand it and i don't either it takes you know seconds to pick up a phone yeah and dial and be like uh, you know i'm real busy right now but i wanted to just let you know yeah i am working on it you know i've done this and this you know don't you know, some things you can't release publicly, fine. But, you know, the, the most he could do is just tell us, I'm working on it, I haven't forgot, and just, that's it. Like, just a phone call. Yeah. Anything yeah. other than nothing that we're getting right now. And that's what's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully we can 
apply a little bit of pressure to just sort of keep that at the, you know, keep this case at the forefront of their, their priorities. Cause I'm sure if you were to get a hold of them, like, Oh, well, we're so busy. We're working on all these cases. So we'll get around to it when we can, but it's like, we've been waiting, <laughs> you know, we've been waiting a long, <laughs> long time, time for yeah. something to happen in this. It's just such a clear, it just seems like such a clear cut case to, to just push to the finish line. Like why not just do it? Why not mm-hmm. take a really bad individual off of the streets and prevent further crimes and victims? And it's just, it just right. doesn't make sense. But, so over, oh, around 90,000 people have already signed the petition. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Let's get that over a hundred and beyond. And I'm sure your mom can resend that out to senators, congressmen, and mm-hmm. let them know that people are still actively wanting help. But right. she did send it to them when you hit, I think, how many signatures? Oh, goodness. What was it at? Somewhere. Was it 70? Something like 15, 70. But even that, no one... Did you get any response or did they... They So they didn't technically decline to help, but they didn't even reply. Right. <laughs> Okay. Exactly. Which is just another hit, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it's sad when it becomes an expected thing, you know, like, like uh, I would yeah. be completely shocked if they were, if I got response. response. Right. Yep. Have you guys reached out to the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation? No, I don't think we've done that one. They might be a good one to reach out to. to um, petition to yeah, we've seen, we've seen in other, other cases like this that sometimes if lar you know, they're, because there's kind of a food chain, obviously, with the, with the law enforcement. But so, like, the State Bureau of Investigation is kind of like, I guess you'd say, like FBI of the North state of North Carolina. Okay. And sometimes they they will you know they will get involved or provide resources. Um, sometimes where needed. Yeah, I mean, no guarantees by any mm-hmm. means. But I I just think like anybody else you can get involved. Like I, the Attorney General is another good one. Um, mm-hmm. trying to make him aware yeah. uh, of the case and and these are all good people to tag on twitter because sometimes if we'll stuff's not happening at that local level like sometimes mm-hmm. you got to go up the step higher and and the state bureau of investigation is a good place to to just at least reach out and be like hey here's my situation here's what's going on can you provide any assistance is there anything and sometimes i mean we've seen sometimes they get involved and and what at least you know kind of poke a little yeah. bit and be like hey you know reach out to them and be like, can we help? Okay. And just sometimes making the local guys aware that there's other bodies aware that are also aware and kind of that's on their radar now that sometimes that can, can, you know, help sperm in the right direction a little bit. Okay. Um, Definitely. That's something to look into at least. Cause absolutely. I mean, why not exhaust all resources, right. you know, every <laughs> single opportunity you can to get this in front of somebody. Yeah. I mean, there's somebody out there who's going to, take it seriously eventually and and do the right thing i mean there's i i'm by no means like anti-law enforcement i think there's definitely good people out there in law enforcement that do do the right thing and are sympathetic with victims families and want to want to do the right thing you just got to find them sometimes because there's so many ones out there that just don't care or just at least present themselves in that way that it's really easy to lose faith and trust in law enforcement Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to, it just takes finding the right person. And hopefully the new, you know, the new guy working on it is sincere in what he's, what he's telling you that he is taking this personally. 
I hope so. And so let's, let's hold them to it. Definitely. So Michelle, can you tell us ways that people can not only help, but reach out to you, connect with you and what they can do to make a difference in this case? Yeah. Um, one thing is we have a Justice for Melissa Platt Facebook page, and um, I post updates there. I also have a Twitter. It's Justice for M Platt, and um, I, I post updates there as well. I do have a, a private Facebook group that I've created as well, um, but I have a link to that on the main Justice for Melissa's Pla- Melissa Platt Facebook page. So you can join that as well, but I, I like to post updates through through all of those different social media accounts. And then, of course, we have the petition that's there. Um, and we've had, I think you said 90,000 at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be so great to get over 100,000 and beyond. I'll definitely send that to the, you know, North Carolina FBI. Yeah. We'll definitely yeah. get that done as well. And we've always had a, um, a GoFundMe for private investigation fees and all that so that's another ways. I mean, that has been crucial in us even being able to hire one. And the investigation is still going on. I'm not sure at this point how long it's going to yeah. keep going on. Um, but those are the different ways in a different counts we've set up to provide updates and all that. And again, if you want to email these people, several people that we've mentioned, uh, tweet at them. I don't know if we'll be able to have a phone number, but... We'll kind of see. We'll put information in the description box for you guys to, you know, take action on that and start bothering these people. Yeah. Any calls to, you know, the district attorney, Matt Delbridge, or the mm-hmm. chief deputy of Lenore County, uh, Ryan Dawson, any any calls to them mm-hmm. would be, uh, thank you so much if you're able to do that. It would mean a lot. Yeah. And, and as much as we all want to call them and, you know, give them a piece of our mind, like what's right. what's helpful, you, what's helpful is politely you know it goes a long way like even though they're not necessarily giving us that same respect but if you yeah. give them some respect and say you know i politely ask that you look into the case of melissa platt trying yes. to remain people, professional, yeah. be respectful not to be re- polite exactly that way they're not just like delete 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 delete. right you know? not just yeah. like shouting at them yeah. or obscenities yeah. nothing right. like that nothing yeah. like, like that would that. be helpful yeah. to us at all just yeah. yeah can you are you looking into this just polite that would be so helpful. And just showing support for Michelle and, and your family. And just, you know, we're here to support her in the fight for justice for Melissa. I mean, that that's all you need to say. You don't need to, you know, go into a whole whole other thing or, yeah. you know, personal thoughts. That opinions. is a good point. And just you, if you keep it professional in, in that world, they, it will go a lot farther than just, like you said, just right. ran, random things. or If you end up sending out a tweet or an email, we'll have some type of example drafted that you can kind of go off of. Yeah. It does nobody any good if you just get blocked or put in a spam folder and stuff. You want to be taken seriously. Which I get it. I mean, I normally get angry and I start tweeting mean things, but it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't always work. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's, that's a good point, Josh. Thanks for saying that. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming all the way out. You have a flight tonight, right? I do. Was it Going your back to first time coming to Colorado? Yes, first time. <laughs> big airport. Pretty it is a very big <laughs> airport. It took yeah. me a minute to figure out how to even get out to like the Uber Lyft area yeah. <laughs> where they pick up. <laughs> but no, <laughs> yeah, not too bad. I mean, Houston Intercontinental is pretty crazy too. So 
kind of used is. to that. That's a pretty yeah. big airport too. <laughs> yeah, that is. It is. <laughs> did you see any of the like DIA conspiracy posters that they have? Out there? I did not. I, I wanted to look. I think they you know, from down. all the things I've I think, seen, I wanted to see if, the crazy horse statue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I didn't get a chance to. You should see it on the way coming in. It's like outside of the airport when you take your Uber in. It's It'll be on probably about yeah on your left side. Yeah, leaving oh, it, you don't really see it, but coming into it, you'll see oh, nice. you'll see them. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to stop. And take. <laughs> yeah, they had actual ads, like they did a whole ad campaign about the conspiracies and kind of like worked it into their whole that thing. they might be harboring yeah, it was, aliens and UFOs. Oh, they're kind of trolling Are they in their underground the tunnels. Whole thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's kind of trolling people back. <laughs> yeah. I see. <laughs> that's great. <sighs> well, again, thank you so much for being here. Yes. You are thank such you. an inspiring person. Oh my, truly, what you have done is just unbelievable it's it's really remarkable the progress that you've been able to get i mean just even getting in touch with all of these people who have helped you and gotten your story out there and i, I don't know if i'd have the strength to keep going the way that you have so just huge props to you and, and your whole family thank you absolutely <laughs> appreciate that and, and doing this really motivates us like yeah this really gives us that that fire to like really keep doing what we do and yeah helps us because sometimes we feel like we're talking into you know just the abyss sometimes or into the, the, or is it the internet a yeah we're just like you know like sometimes we feel like down we have our days too where we're like are we making a difference are we yeah. doing anything or just it, feeling like our system's so messed up it's fresh yeah so it's it's nice to see some progress actually being made yeah yes and it helps us like sure. keep going and help more people and so mm-hmm. you know we just we love doing this and you're welcome back anytime. Well, thank you. Yes. And y'all help so many people and y'all are inspiration to me too. So that's thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Yeah, our pleasure. It really was. But yes, make sure everybody go check out the description, the show notes for all the information on Melissa and all the ways that you can help in the fight for justice. But we will wrap up today's episode there. And we will see you all next time.